Hello, Trevor Masterolds here, uh, talking from you from the actual hearth of Conversations from the Hearth. Um, really excited to talk to you guys about a topic uh, very prevalent in the martial arts, uh, and that is dogma. Um, dogma, for those of you who may not immediately know, is uh, basically the touting of a philosophy or some principles as if they are incontrovertibly true. So mm -hmm. this is the way you must do it and is the only way it can be done. Um, Master Rhodes, can you talk a little bit about what that looks like in a martial arts setting? Yeah, of course. So over my, uh, over the years, I trained a lot of other schools and you know some schools will say you have to punch exactly this way with two knuckles versus three knuckles. Uh, we're going more for speed as opposed to power. This is how you generate your power. This is how you generate speed. And there's a lot of different answers to those same questions, but um, unfortunately, because a lot of schools are quite dogmatic, they like to say, this is the only way you can generate power, or this is the way you should do it if you want to get the, the only way you can do it if you want to be fast. Mm -hmm. um, so, And can you, can you talk a little bit about why, why that kind of is so common in martial arts, why that arises, what's the process by which someone gets to the point of saying, this is the only way it must be done. Yeah, so I'm not entirely sure, but I think uh, there's some things that happen. So first of all, most people's experience in the martial arts uh, revolves around a single school. Mm -hmm. Almost everyone I've met in the martial arts is trained at one school. Some at two or three, but very rarely have they done more than that. Um, and then most people I've met that have trained at a lot of schools, they've only trained for like a few months and they mm -hmm. really don't have any understanding of the school itself. So because of that, because people usually train at one school, they usually have a very limited bandwidth of knowledge of what the martial arts is. And um, that's part of it. Mm -hmm. um, and then another part of it is that usually uh, once people start teaching, they have kind of ownership of, of just a few uh, techniques and uh, principles and they know those well and so they like to talk like think about in speech class like when I was in speech class they'd always say um, don't say kind of it could be this way say it is this way mm -hmm. like you know speak with confidence speak with absolute yeah mm -hmm. and in sort of an absolute manner yeah. like this is what scientists say is true not you know, this could be true, you know, and mm -hmm. that kind of leads people when they don't have a lot of experience to make really grand statements like this is absolutely how you have to do your front kick if you want to have power or, you know, when you do your front kick, you have to curl your toes back or you have to hit with the instep of your foot. The example that I really like that you were talking about was, you know, a teacher says to the student, this is the way we do it. Mm -hmm. Right, we punch this way, whether that's you know with two knuckles, three knuckles, whatnot. Mm -hmm. And then when that student, who's a white belt, when he's told that, gets up to that you know medium level belt or the higher belts, and now he has a white belt beneath him, who's asked yeah. you know who's not sure how to do it, or maybe that green belt, blue belt is feeling a little bit now more important, and so tells the other student how to do it. They say this is the way it is done, mm -hmm. not this is one way you can do it. This yeah. is the only way that you can do it. And, and, then, and you then were saying... When that student, like the white belt, when he becomes a blue belt and he teaches it to the next generation, he feels even more confident in saying this is the absolute way it's done. And it just keeps going like that until you get these schools that are just so embedded in their ways that they can't really 
conceive of any other way to do something. Mm -hmm. And one of the things I've always tried to do with my school from the very beginning is say, this is how we do something. This is why we do it. But leave it like in a little bit of an open-ended kind of humble place where, you know, there are other ways to do it. Like a lot of times I'll talk about roundhouse kick and I'll Mm -hmm. say, you know, you can kick through. This is why. Or you can step out to generate more power. This is why you might want to do that. Uh, You can hit with the ball of your foot. You can hit with the instep of your foot. You can hit with the shin of your foot. But you go into some schools and they feel very strongly, you know, well, you know, you have to hit with this part of your foot and you have to generate your power this way or it's wrong. And that's really usually not the case. And another thing that you're saying that I really liked was you're saying, okay, so that that white belt, you know, who is taught by the blue belt, grows up, becomes a black belt. They open Mm -hmm. their own school. And like you were saying before, they've only ever trained at that one school. So that's the only way they know how to do it. So now they're really, really rigid. They don't have the flexibility to say, well, this is one way that you can do it. Because that's the only way they know how to do it. So if they try and do it any other way, they're going to look very unproficient. Yeah. And that's, that yeah. creates a lot of anxiety. So that's they true. get really rigid. They go, mm. this is the only way it can be done. Yeah. Um, but I, I like what you were saying. You're saying, you know the way that we're trying to teach is in a very humble way, not just saying this is how we do this exact technique, but these are some of the principles behind mm-hmm. it. Um, I, you know, uh, what comes to mind is the wrist grab defenses of, you know, it's not just that we're only doing it this one way. We want to get the elbow close. Yeah. That's a principle. Yeah. Um, because there are some things that can be done if we don't do that. Yeah, like a good example on that is I've had people come in and they've learned a wrist grab escape that's very similar to our defenses, but they were being grabbed with the other side hand. Mm-hmm. And when they try to do their defense, they realize that it doesn't work. And why I always try to convey to my students is, look, these are the principles that are important. Step back into a base position, pull your arm to your body so you have more leverage, break out between the thumb and the fingers, but that can manifest in many different ways. And so I try to teach based on principle uh, as opposed to based on like a, a, like a rote set of techniques. You see this a really common in like uh, heavy, heavy forms schools that mm. just like, like, like their form is so important. Like I think forms are really important. I think they're beautiful and they're, they're great tools for training. But like for me, a measure of someone's skill is a lot deeper than just being able to sort of walk through a set of motions. Like just memorizing a form to me doesn't show me that much. The way you do your form shows me a lot more. You know, if you generate power and you're power is connected with your movement so that I know you're always moving fast and efficiently and in a balanced position like that kind of stuff is the deeper things that we're really looking for at a high level of proficiency and um, I think like focusing too much on you know um, like this kind of superfluous details Mm. um, can really deter people from getting to that real kernel of knowledge. Yeah, I I don't know if you would agree with this, but one thing that saying I like to say is that it's it's the martial arts, not the martial sciences. There is no one perfect way to do in all situations, right? There's always going to be trade-offs of maybe this technique is a little bit faster, this technique is a little bit more powerful. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's, there's always going to be pros and cons. 
Um, you know, it's, it's funny you bring that up because you do hear a lot, especially these days, martial science. I remember when this started really becoming uh, like a trendy thing to say. Definitely back in the 90s, I heard this a lot. Like, we're not martial arts, we're martial science. And usually when I hear that, it's like a screaming dogma. You know, it's like... <laughs> You really feel so strongly about something that you think that this is the only way you can do it, you know? Mm. Um, because there's just so many different ways to do things. And this kind of. Are, are you going to lead into the Japanese versus Chinese martial arts? We could talk, talk about that. I was going to talk a little bit about writing and how, oh, okay. you know, my time in, as an English major in college has a lot of similarity to my time as a martial artist. Like, you remember when I was first learning how to write, my teacher would say, the first thing you need to do is learn the rules, and then you can break them. And I think that's really true with the martial arts. Like, first you need to learn the principles, mm -hmm. and then you can mix and mash them to make what is right for that situation. You know? And I think people who don't know the principles tend to get overly hooked up on little details that don't really matter. Um, so you were talking about the yeah. the, the Japanese versus Korean or, or versus uh, Chinese differences in martial arts. And, you know, that, that's a really good experience. So was, I spent some time training in Kung Fu. I spent some time training in Karate. And their principles couldn't be further from each other. You know, when I was training in Kung Fu, they're like, you know, don't use, don't like completely contract your body kind of just use your momentum and your weight of your body to generate your power because you want to have a fluid, continuous power that moves forward. And I kind of came from Taekwondo, which is a kind of a mixture of both. We're kind of, the Korean styles are kind of in between, so they are a little bit fluid and they're also a little bit like contracting and strong. And so they were always telling me, you know, I need to loosen up and just kind of relax. And then we went training karate and they were like, you know, everything, one punch, one kill. It comes from like that samurai mindset of mm -hmm. one hit, one kill. And so you know, everything is into a single point. And they just want you to obliterate someone's face. So, you know, both of those are kind of true. Like, you know, the, the Kung Fu side, you know, you can do a lot of techniques, but if none of them have any knockout power, you're just kind of like batting somebody in the head. And then the, 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 from the karate perspective, it's like, you know, yeah, you can have this insane knockout punch, but if it misses, you're in so much trouble because you've committed everything to a single strike. And, you know, I believe in kind of, there are moments when you have to completely um, go for a single strike. Like, for example, if you get the drop on somebody, that is a time to do like an obliterating strike. Whereas like once you you miss, if you did miss that one and you get more into a bout, then you want to go into, you know, some some fakes and trying to find your opening once the the, the battle has completely mm -hmm. engaged. But if you can avoid that completely, yeah. So yeah. they they both have wisdom, and it seems I think it will seem pretty obvious, like how I'm mm. explaining it to you. Like, oh yeah, that seems obvious. Of course, a balance of both. Uh, but that's because you're my student, <laughs> and that's because I kind of espouse this and I talk about the different sides of things. But if you grew up in one of these two camps, you would feel so strongly about your side of it. And that's what I mean by this dogma, that yeah. people just get so trapped inside of their own realities. Well, and that kind of leads into a modern mixed martial arts has made traditional martial arts look very dogmatic, mm. right? Uh, they, they put the spotlight on, they said, there's all this superfluous stuff, mm -hmm. um, 
But, but you were also saying, yeah, yeah, go ahead. Well, I think it's it's about the same. Um, I do think it's a little bit more apparent because we in, in traditional martial arts, the dog. Yeah, one. it's a little bit more apparent because I think for these days it wasn't always this way. You know, back in the '90s and before that, it was it was it was not so clear. But these days, we kind of look through the MMA lens at everything, mm. and for that reason, everything looks really weird. It's kind of like. From a Western perspective, when we look at Asian culture, it seems very, like, very different than us. But, mm. you know, um, but even Asians, they have a really good understanding of Western culture. So things don't seem as, seem as bizarre to them. And that is um, just kind of from our own perspective. But I, I find that dogma is just as strong in MMA. It's funny because, mm. like, certain things that, like, you know, we said like they, 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 you cannot do this. They turn out to be like really important, like in just a few years, and everyone's doing it. And we just you were telling me about like some technique that is now very popular in MMA. Am I, am I misquoting you there? You're saying there's like this one technique that uh, you know many uh, years ago people laughed at. Oh, you can't do that. That's ridiculous. And now it's a very very. I mean, there's there. I I, I don't think I'm anything on top of my okay. head, but there are a lot of uh, instances of that. Of course, you know. I mean, even the whole concept of grappling, you know, was thought of as completely ridiculous at one point. Like people thought that grappling was not an effective way to fight, and then now people think it's a really good way to fight, right? And even within grappling, you know, um, you know, you look at like Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu, you know, when Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu first came onto the scene, it was a lot of arm bars and, you know, rear naked chokes and things like that. And now you see like the new kind of Jiu-Jitsu that's coming out where it's like all using the lapel and stalling and doing all sorts of weird stuff that, you know, is, is really different. And that's the old old guard jujitsu guys are like that's not real jujitsu, but it it's working and it's it's stuff that they would just have totally um, kind of throw into the side back in the day. But now they're like, whoa, this is new and interesting. And that that kind of progress is always happening. We see that not just in the martial arts, we see that everywhere. And it really takes somebody like saying like, look, this is possible. You can use this technique effectively in this way, but they have to like show everyone. And it always comes like from nowhere. Like, what? I can't believe that. And that's, I think, because everyone's so dogmatic. Everyone's kind of stuck in their own lens. And they think like, this is the way it has to be. Mm-hmm. You know, um, you know, yeah. So You, you had an, an example that I really liked was from your Muay Thai training. Uh, and the way okay. he was telling you to do this, this kick... And I loved. Well, I I won't tell the story for you, but do you know which one I'm talking about? Where sure. you're saying don't yeah. commit to the kick. Yeah. So you know when I started training uh, under Duke Rufus, and I was working with one of his coaches, he was telling me, um, I was just I was destroying this bag, and like everyone was lined up at me because I've been training in like Taekwondo for like twenty some years or something at the time, and you know. And everyone around me was just like getting started. They're like, kind of kicking it. Like, knock his back like sideways everywhere. And um, he's like, he's like, you're kicking too. You're putting too much energy in your kick. Just kind of throw it up there, you know. Just kind of throw it up there. And he kind of showed me and whatnot. And I'm like, man, that kick is terrible, you know. But I kind of understand where he's coming from because I think I'm much more open minded. I mean, at that point, I already trained a lot of other styles, and I kind of see what he's talking about. What he wanted is. And I don't even think he could articulate this because from he even though he trained in like this really progressive martial art or whatever, he really only trained in one discipline in, in, in Muay Thai. And so from his perspective, 
he's mostly focused on punching. And he doesn't want to completely commit to a kick because he'll throw his body back and then he will have to come way back to do his punch. Whereas in Taekwondo, we're totally focused on kicking, mostly. And so we want to keep our leg between our opponent and them, and that's why we do fully commit and we want a really strong kick because we want to stop them before they can get in. It's just different objectives, and one way is not wrong versus the other, but I think you really need to like be able to see a shade deeper to really understand what's going on there. Another good example is you know, mm-hmm. you know, they would ask me to kick through. And like some of them really thought like that's how you get more power. Can you explain what kicking through means? Yeah, like so you like, you know if you go to kick someone in the head, you kick and then you kick your foot comes all the way around and comes back to your starting position. And like a lot of them thought that that was how you generated power, and it's not how you generate power. The reason why you do that is because you only learn to fight on one side of your body. And they didn't really, you know they didn't really put those two things together. It's in like, Muay Thai. In Muay Thai, and the reason why they do that. Is because in more of those heavy combat sports where you you know maybe fight one bout a year or one bout every six months because you take so much physical punishment that you can't really do it a lot and those kind of uh, sports they own the retention is only a few months and at most maybe a couple of years people get into it go hard and then drop out so they're looking to get somebody up to a high level of proficiency really quickly and just learning one side of your body is effective for that but if you want to be the greatest martial artist, which I hope is your intent, and for me this is a lifelong pursuit, um, I want to learn both sides of my body. By learning both sides of your body, you're very unpredictable. It's very difficult to read you. I mean, our grandfather was a, uh, our great grandfather mm-hmm. was a Golden Gloves boxer, and he made our grandfather throw three stones into a bucket with each hand every time he came in because he wanted to teach him to be ambidextrous. And what my great-grandfather would do is he would start fighting one way and then switch his hands and fight the other way. And it was so confusing to his opponent. And that's how he got a lot of his knockouts. That's just a really good example of how learning to use both your bodies, both sides of your body is really important. Mm -hmm. But we are digressing. We are. We are. But (laughs) the reason I like those two examples is what you said about the first one where he's saying the way that he was kicking was arguably the right way for his style of fighting. Mm-hmm. It wasn't that his kick was was the worst. It was totally mm-hmm. trash. There's no wisdom in it. It was good for him. Yeah. And so from his perspective, yours looked, oh, that's that's not the right way to kick. And then the thing I liked about the second example was that it's not necessarily about the exact technique is bad, but the way in which it is taught um, the fact that it's not about how good the technique it is, but how fast you can learn the technique. That's also an element in the training. And mm-hmm. that might be more important for some people to be able to get up to the place where they can defend themselves the best in two days mm-hmm. is very different from the techniques that you would teach someone if you want them to be the best martial artist in 10 years. Yes. That, that take, there might be different techniques that take longer to train, but well, are more effective in the long run. That reminds me of what I was talking to you about not too long ago about like you know Krav Maga mm, and yeah. how some of the so I spent some time learning Krav Maga and so you know in Krav Maga the idea is to react from a point of like like how you you respond to the threat in the way you would normally react to it so the like, most instinctual yeah, most way. instinctual way so like if somebody tries to choke you what's the first thing you're gonna do you're gonna probably put your hands on their wrists and like stop yourself from being choked you know 
because you're gonna freak out. And then once you start freaking out and your hands are there, you're like, wait, I can defend myself, so I'm gonna do my technique. So in Krav Maga, what, they, what you'll learn is if someone tries to, to strangle you with two hands, you'll take your hands, you'll grab their wrists like this, because that's what you're gonna do instinctually, and then you'll, you'll use your chest and your arms to break free, okay? And that is possible. <laughs> this is very hard. I want you to go try that with somebody, okay? Grab here and break with your body. It's really hard. You can do it, especially if the person's not uh, like ready for you, you know? And, but it's also instinctual. Like it's coming from that place of instinct. Like this is what you're gonna do, and then you're gonna do this. I want you to try the other one, which we learn in class, which is you go over, under, back up again, clasp your hand, and then break with your whole core. This is a way less intuitive technique, but it's way more power. The horsepower behind that is like 10 times this, okay? And that's why we do that technique, because I'm trying to teach you to be a great martial artist. Now, I don't, you know, if I taught a self-defense class where I'm trying to get somebody up to speed really quickly and just show them some basics, yeah, this is a perfectly fine technique, but it's not gonna be, it's, it's really simple, but mm -hmm. that's the what self-defense is, right? It's, it's just trying to make some like really simple stuff that you can kind of learn to help can, you know, get yourself up to a kind of quick speed, but it's not the best technique. Mm -hmm. And that's what we need to know, like we need to realize is like when we're learning things, sometimes we might be learning something because it's the most accessible thing, Sometimes we might be learning things because it's the most practical thing, and things can be practical in lots of different ways. Mm -hmm. And sometimes it's just a stepping stone to build the, the muscle memory, the balance, the strength, the power, yeah. explosion uh, for something else in the future. Yeah, or you know, sometimes learning is iterative. So like you know, when I first teach inside crescent kick, I might show you just how to do it, like throw your leg all the way across. Uh, with a straight leg, but then we'll teach you like snap inside crescent kick, where you bend your you can bend your knee. And that's kind of an abbreviated version, but you got to learn the progress mm -hmm. that will help you get the best yeah. snap inside crescent kick later. And you know, it's funny that you talk about progress because that reminded me of when you were saying that, uh, you know, mixed martial arts, modern mixed martial arts uh, has all this dogma, just like the traditional. Mm -hmm. And one of the things that frustrates you is that uh, you feel like these new kids who come in into the mixed martial arts right now and they're discarding all of this old wisdom mm. and you're saying you're frustrated by it because they haven't seen the whole journey from when mixed martial arts first started yeah. and there were all these lessons from traditional and people were trying to weed out you know is this is this just uh, kind of accessory yeah. to it, or is this the truth? And there was a lot of perhaps overzealousness. So what we like to do, I think, as people, is we like to just, I guess, humans, is um, look at what the best people are doing, and then just they copy everything and just do what they're doing. But when we do it that way, we don't actually learn the wisdom behind how they got to that point. Mm. Okay. So it's sometimes funny because I'll go and I'll, you know, not so much these days, but when I was, you know, in my early, my mid twenties, early twenties and stuff like that, I was always going to all these different fight gyms and stuff. And I would go in there and I had a lot of experience because I had my own program and all this kind of stuff. But I got to put on a white belt and I trained next to some guy who's been training there for like two or three months. And this guy is just thinks he knows, like he's, he's just talking from such a point of authority on everything, you know, blah, blah, blah. And I'm just like, oh, I know... Like, I know everything you're saying, and I know it's, it's, you know, like where you're coming from, but it's just like so, it's, it's painful for me to listen because you just know so little, you know, really. Mm -hmm. um, and so, 
What was your original question? <laughs> well, I was uh, saying, uh, talking about the going through the journey of from the traditional to yeah. the mixed martial arts um, and kind of how they threw some things out in the traditional martial yeah, arts. Yeah, okay, so like, you know, I mean, just some, some things they threw out. Like one thing that's really I'm trying to solve in my school is teach good practical martial arts skills. And a lot of those skills you would find at a, any kind of mixed martial arts school but also incorporate all of the important elements of traditional martial arts. And I think the most central of those is the respect, discipline, integrity, courtesy, mm -hmm. perseverance, all those things that we, all those leadership life skills that are a big part of our training. There's no reason to throw them out. And I think, you know, some people think that those things kind of hold us back, but I think that's totally a misnomer. It's kind of like, um, a form of dogma in itself. Yeah, you know? it's like, oh, that just makes you soft. Mm -hmm. You know, kind of idea. Um, and you were also telling me about your experience under Grandmaster Quan and kind of his teaching style and how, in some ways, fortunate you were that it was it, it, there wasn't any dogma because he barely talked. Yeah. Um, Ma Master Quan kind of taught me to just, like, throw yourself into the experience and then once you kind of understand what you're doing, then start asking the questions. And I think that's the greatest lesson of martial arts. And Master Kwan did it kind of unintentionally because he couldn't speak English, you know. And I trained under Master Hong uh, before that and under Master Kim and a lot of Korean masters. And none of them could speak any English. So they're just, it's punch, just like punch, punch, kick, 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 punch, and then just watching, trying to keep up and figure out, and then you're like, no, bad, you know, whatever, and I just, okay, and I'm just trying, and like that kind of experience was really freeing, mm. and it, it taught me to like not think too much. Yeah. That's another topic. That's a whole, yeah. yeah, a whole other one that we want to get into, but I won't go into that too far, but um, that kind of a mindset where you just kind of throw yourself into is very important and also don't have too many preconceived notions of like what is the right way and the only way to do something because there are many ways to do the same thing yeah. and they it can all be right in the right moment you know yeah well and this kind of brings us back around to you were saying there's kind of three stages of in relation to martial arts being dogmatic and mm -hmm. the first one is when they have no experience. Uh, you know, yeah. maybe, maybe they have a little bit of a bias towards one martial arts or another because they've heard things because that martial arts has a really great PR department, mm -hmm. really great advertising, um, but they don't really have any skin in the game. Mm -hmm. So they don't have any basis on which to be dogmatic to say, this is the only way that it can be done. Yeah. Uh, do you want to take it from there into kind of the, the sure. next stage? So yeah, the first stage, obviously, you know, everyone's got, got an empty cup unless it's been filled somehow. And when you have an empty cup, you pretty much don't have any preconceived notions about things and so you don't really feel like your way is the right way and the only way. But you'd be surprised how fast we are as people to just sort of like feel that way. And you know, as sometimes it can happen in just a few days or a few months, but usually it happens around after a few years of training. And I've been really fortunate because our school doesn't have much of this and I think a lot of it's come and because I do speak a lot about this and you know that's one reason why we're doing this video mm -hmm. you know but usually around a couple of years people start to get you know when they get the green belt the blue belt level they start to get kind of dogmatic about their school and the way they do it and they start 
And a lot of that is because that's when they start kind of helping out with the classes and stuff like that. And they start teaching and they, they're coming from a place of kind of insecurity and they try to find security by talking in absolutisms. And, you know, one blue belt teaches it to another and it just gets more and more compounded. Um, and, so, then, and then eventually, hopefully. And then eventually, yeah, eventually, you know, as you get to a high level proficiency and you've gone to a lot of schools and you know even if you haven't gone to a lot of schools you've gone to a lot of competitions with different schools different styles and seen what's out there you'll come to the realization that there are many ways to do something and you don't talk so absolute about everything mm-hmm. um, it's not always the case but it's not always the usually... case but you know I, I find like people who I really think know a lot about martial arts I, it is almost always the case mm-hmm. it's just that there's a lot of people who think they know a lot about martial arts and they don't yeah yeah, I like the um, kind of analogy that you gave for like what you would hope your students would embody, which is you can have a a sports team that you really really like, and yeah. you can you can be a great advocate for that, be very supportive, but if there's another uh, sports team that you compete with, you should still be respectful of that sports team. Yes. And if they try their hardest and they win that round, mm-hmm. you should be a, a good sportsmanship about it. Um, you should yeah. be supportive of that and not be, oh, they they cheated or they, they did this dirty trick. Or, yeah. uh, there is wisdom in everything and just emptying your cup, being respectful, being humble. I think um, there there is a place that you can be both prideful of what you do and mm-hmm. the school that you represent and the style you represent and yet not be condescending to other styles yeah and i think that's where we're, we're trying to get as a school and trying to teach to my students um yeah so i hope you guys you guys have found this interesting um let us know your thoughts uh in the comments below um but until next time keep training hard